You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. This morning is week two of the Summer Renewal Series, Fire and Wind. Uh, Renewal was the direction God gave me and gave us as a church uh, in January. Um, and I believe in that preaching series, one of the things that, that kind of rose to the surface for me was that renewal is something that we can't achieve on ourselves. Um, and I'm a self-starter, I'm a go-getter, so when I feel like God's saying renew, I'm like, then I'm going to go renew, right? So let's all go renew, right? Let's go, let's go tackle the mountain, um, storm the, the beach of renew. And yet in that process of kind of breaking that down, what I really felt like the Lord was showing me was that renewal isn't something that we, that we achieve, that renewal is something that we receive. And so then how do you receive renewal? Well, you have to position yourself to receive renewal. And the pursuit of God is what positions us for renewal. And I believe this series coming six months later out of January is kind of that extra little, um, that boost of energy, if you will, that we need in order to keep pursuing renewal. Because I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's activity in our life, the Holy Spirit's activity in our church's life, that is pursuing God and positioning ourselves for renewal. So last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. I framed um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the context of its original frame, uh, a, a Jewish ceremony feast. And, and I connected the historical dots to say that, that it was a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Um, and, and so no one gets real excited about anybody giving them the law. Um, so we looked at what was, what was the purpose of the law, right? The law was for their identity. Um, it was to guide their worship, um, shape their identity, direct their worship, guide their living, right? They, they were going to enter into a country that worshiped a bunch of other gods that did not hold uh, any kind of value as it relates to Yahweh. And the law helped identify them as who they were. But then they never had worship because they were in slavery. They're in captivity. So the, the law also helped shape and guide their worship. Um, and then it gave them the power to live a life in connection with God in that setting. Um, I already mentioned the Holy Spirit was given for harvest because it was a celebration of the barley harvest. And then the Holy Spirit was a who, not an it. And then the Holy Spirit was a gift. I mean, the early church, the New Testament church, the early church received the Holy Spirit as God. So this has been for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, that the Holy Spirit isn't some foreign entity or it, just some mystical kind of power. And so the connecting pieces then is, do we not need then, if it was a celebration of the law given to do all those things, shape identity, direct worship, guide in that living, do, do we not need that now? That we, what makes our identity in Christ? What guides our living in a pagan culture? Who helps us worship this all-knowing, everywhere at one time, all-powerful God? Do do we just come up with those things on our own? That that we just create a bunch of things that we think would be worship, and then we just do it? But we need the Holy Spirit for all of those things. 
So that was last week kind of as a foundation. I'd encourage you if, you, if you missed that one, you can go back and you see the notes. You can just do a podcast, which is just the audio of the sermon, or you can watch the whole service uh, on our website. So this week, um, we're going to shift to part two, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about superheroes. Superheroes. Our country has, maybe the world has a fascination with superheroes. I didn't, anybody do the comic, you're old enough to do the comic books, the Marvel comic books on superheroes. There's a, there's a few people in here. You, you're not old enough. You paid too much money for those. You went back and paid. <laughs> so, right, so, so they were so good, right, then we started turning in the TV series, and this is when I remember watching Spider-Man with my dad. Um, Spider-Man, Superman with Adam West. I mean, was there another, I mean, Batman, was there another Batman than Adam West, right? Um, so, and then somewhere along the line, then we turned it into whole franchises, right? Movie franchises. Who's seen every Avenger movie kind of made? Anybody here? Yeah, you've seen Avenger, all right, you see all the Avenger movies. Um, but somewhere we've kind of trying to, we're getting near the bottom of this Avenger bucket, um, <laughs> right? Um, because, because when you have to go back deep into the archives of the 60s Marvel comics to come up with Ant-Man and the Wasp, I can just say that we are running, we're, running out, we're running out of superheroes, right, if we're turning to the insect world, is, is, is all I'm saying, right? Um, and, and the word super for hero, it doesn't just mean a bigger hero, right? We also, especially in America, if we can supersize anything, we're going to supersize it, right? McDonald's made that very, very popular early on. We're going to make it bigger. But when a superhero isn't just a bigger hero, and so it's, it's an awkward transition, but I'll make it anyway. I want to talk about supernatural today. It just seemed like superhero was a good way to get into that. That, that supernatural doesn't mean bigger than natural. Okay? Supernatural means beyond nature. And so when we talk about God, Jesus, salvation, Holy Spirit, we talk about any of these things, we're talking about supernatural things, that they're beyond nature. We can have some understanding, but that, even that understanding generally is, is revelatory. I mean, it's, it's revelation. It's given to us to understand something bigger than natural. Um, do you find yourself ever thinking about Jesus as being supernatural? I will say that that's not my first thought when I start thinking about Jesus. I, don't, I guess because I can read about, you know, just him eating fish, right, or something. It's, it's difficult sometimes to put Jesus in the supernatural category, but wasn't Jesus supernatural? I mean, even his life on earth, right? His miracles that he performed, um, the people that he would be with, all was beyond natural, all right? Um, and so when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, I understand that sometimes it's, it's difficult to embrace who he is and what he does because it is like way supernatural. But I want to help you connect all the dots because everything in Scripture is supernatural, so Acts chapter 2, which I didn't read in its entirety last week, is, I mean, the one word that jumps out when you read Acts 2 is supernatural. And this is when, this is the activity, this is when the Holy Spirit is given for the first time in this manner, and then the, the, the immediate uh, fallout, if you will, of that giving. So here is, think about this, think about the word supernatural as I read this. When the, day of Pentecost, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Supernatural, right? Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hear them in our native language? The, the, the reputation of Galilee would not have been an educated, would not have been an educated reputation, okay? And they're hearing all these languages, their own language. Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So, so you, you, you follow what's going? You have this mass of people gathered for this, for this feast in Jerusalem. This isn't someone's um, bonus room above a garage that they were. About 120 people had gathered, more than likely, if those of you ladies are in this Bible study for Christy McClellan on Wednesday night, uh, gospel on the ground, she'd say that this is probably somewhere in, at the temple or in location of the temple. That's why you have so many people gathered here, all right? And they're gathering with all their native languages, and they're not hearing uh, just... Uh, words and phrases and things that they can't understand in this context, they're actually hearing their own particular language coming from someone that has no business, no way to understand how to speak that language. Who has a, you have a proclivity for language. You, you, have, a, you have a capacity for language. Any, anybody in here? There's, there's three, right? Okay, so it, it takes a, I can't speak anything other than baseball and English. <laughs> right, when I would go to other countries, they said, they said, what's the definition of someone who only speaks one language? And the answer was an American. Um, you know, you have to have some kind of framework to speak other languages. And they had none, and yet they didn't just hear anything. They heard praise unto God. They heard, they heard a description of who he was. And so this is spreading this witness. And so it was supernatural. Verse 12 says, amazing and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, this is the prophecy of Joel, which they would have recognized, okay? I will pour I've just one of my favorite words in scripture. I will pour, this, this, this is not a parsing. They don't parse out. Here's a little here, here's a little here. I will pour out my spirit on the really good people. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on the ones that just kind of really just do everything I want them to do. I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, 
I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There is no hierarchy of people here. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Still Old Testament prophecy. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Supernatural. Peter goes on, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So he wasn't captured and murdered. With the help of wicked men, put him to death. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Okay? Being said by the guy who hid a month and a half earlier. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, again, they would have recognized this from the Old Testament. I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. I'm not, you and I are going to die, but we're not going to stay dead. And that's what he's saying. You will not let our holy one, your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew what God had promised him on oath, that he would, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was raised from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out um, from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you will now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The whole progression of God there, supernatural. Therefore, this is his landing the plane. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a sequence. Repent, be baptized, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those that accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's supernatural. Just thinking through baptizing 3,000 people, right? I mean, it's supernatural. So everything about this was supernatural. The fire, the wind, the known languages spoken by men and women who did not have any clue of how to speak those languages. Peter preaching a message of repentance and he would just hit himself 45, 50 days before this particular point. 3,000 people, 3,000 Jewish people that had been a part of yelling, crucify him, crucify him. 
now with this new information and the power of the Spirit, then 3,000 of those people then now change completely. I mean, their whole history, they change in a minute. All of that's supernatural. Um, so it is beyond natural. And it's easier for us to read it and it's easier for us to see it happening in someone else's life than it is to embrace it for our life. Is that the truth? That it's much easier to read it through someone else's eyes and even to acknowledge that that's what they experienced than it is to say, well, that's who he is and this is what I can experience. And it's hard because it's supernatural. It's beyond natural. But I will say that it can't, it's not any more supernatural than salvation is supernatural. The fact that a man came and died on a cross that not just um, paid the legal penalty for our sin, but placed us back in relationship with God the Father, that's supernatural. Now, we talk about it a lot, so it doesn't seem supernatural. But you coming to Christ in the way that you were living, even if you came to Christ as a kid or, you know, ever, you know, we always end up unpacking the stuff our parents put in our backpacks at some point in time. The fact that you would be sitting and pursuing God, you don't do that on your own. No one just decides they're going to pursue God on their own. The Holy Spirit's active in that process. The whole, it, it, really, it's actually, it's actually a theological term that they'll use as wooing. That the Holy Spirit is the one active in that process, convicting you over your sin. You know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Condemnation is making you feel terrible, punishing you for what you have done, said, thought, or whatever. That's condemning. Conviction is helping you see and you feel and recognize, that's not what I want and pulling us to what's possible. We don't do that without being convicted, right? Because if you're not convicted, then why change your pattern? So the conviction is this isn't right. This, um, I feel less after participating when, I, when it had promised me more, right? That's what sin does. Sin promises the world and gives us a mud puddle, okay? And con conviction then is... I don't want that. And it's the Holy Spirit all involved in that process. And that's beyond natural. That is always going to be supernatural. Um, the, the Greek word used for transformation in the New Testament is a word you would recognize from science class. Metamorphosis. I mean, it, it, is, it, is, the literal, it is the literal Greek word, metamorphi or whatever, for transformation. So you might recognize that you have this did this ever pop up in a textbook? Right? Egg, larva, pupa, butterfly. Now listen, as a sixth grade middle schooler, this was amazing. Right? Right? How can a larva, how can a caterpillar ever be a butterfly? I mean, they're, they're not even, right? They're, they're, they're not remotely the same, are they? I mean, really, there, there's nothing remotely the same about these two things. And so that's what the word metamorphosis is how do you get from there to there? Well, it's a complete transformation. This literally is what happens to us when we come to Christ. We go from that worm <laughs> to something beautiful that flies around. And it doesn't even fly in straight lines. It has reinvented flying, 
right? I mean, people pay money just to go someplace where they've kind of contained some of these things, right? In order to see how they move and operate. It is a complete transformation. But the question I have for a lot of us today is, do you still feel like a worm, right? I mean, do we still carry that image and that perspective and that motion of just crawling from leaf to leaf? Or have we really experienced this metamorphosis transformation into this butterfly? This is supernatural. This is beyond anything that you can imagine. And this new birth, this new life that we have needs a new power to go with the new life. Listen, any struggle that we have in our new life in Christ is a clash between the old you and the new you. You can't win this fight by trying to synthesize or blend these two lives together. You'll stay miserable trying to live that way. Your old life and your new life in Christ are not compatible. Okay, they're not compatible. The... the, the chain, if I can use that term, the chain that would have bound us to a sin where we could not remove ourselves from, salvation breaks that chain, okay? That's what salvation, salvation then doesn't then change our behavior and our pattern. Salvation is a decision that we make in surrendering our life to Christ when someone, the word repentance is a change of direction. Now, it doesn't do us any good to change direction if we're still chained to the sin, Right? So the, the repentance, the change of direction is what breaks that chain, but it doesn't change the proximity of the stuff. Everybody with me? All right? So repentance and I, I've changed a direction and I'm moving in a new direction. Now, now this, is where, this is where the Holy Spirit really starts to change and up his game in us. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us to the Father. We repent, chains broken, now we have a new life. But if we just have the old way and the old patterns and the old thoughts and all this, and there's nothing new coming along to separate and create distance between us, now we're in trouble. And I use this phrase here. We got to think crucify, not compromise. There's, there's, there's a crucifying, um, Paul would even talk about crucifying our flesh, that we would go ahead and, and admit and hold on to, we are dead to that, right? This is, you are dead to me. Right? These are these, these patterns. This old thinking, um, uh, these old addictions, that we, you're, you're, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Here's how Paul talks about it out of the message in Colossians 3. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. <laughs> pursue the things, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Life's bigger than this, he's saying. Look up, be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with your obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of life. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. 
That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. <laughs> any parent ever say that? You ever had it said to you? You know better. You know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave, free, mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as, 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 as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using common, good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. That's good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. But Paul is talking in a context that they would have had a different understanding of the Holy Spirit than what we end up having. Because when you read that out of the context of the Holy Spirit being the power by which this is done, we try to do this on our own. And different ones of you will have different measures of success along certain paths. But I can tell you there's things that stopped in my life that only stopped in my life when I surrendered that to the Holy Spirit. That all my want to didn't change anything. And I can position myself, those are my choices, right? My choices are position myself, but the Holy Spirit is present to empower us to make these decisions because he starts changing more and more what's going on in our life. And we desire more and more of Christ. That is a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit does with us. Creates us a thirst and a longing for more of God. And that thirst and longing pulls us along this path, away from this old path. The Holy Spirit is involved in our personal transformation, but which I'll get to later on in the series. He also empowers us for a broader corporate purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So let me recap. Supernatural is beyond natural. Salvation is a supernatural metamorphosis producing new life. 
The Holy Spirit plays a super, it's a false ending. Um, the worship team, you can get ready, but it's a false ending. The Holy Spirit plays a supernatural role in bringing that new life. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers the formation of my life. So that's really just a recap of, of part one. I may not get to all part two today. My question to you is, how is your new coming? How is your new life coming? My personal experience as a Christian, my own, like my own Christian walk, and then my experience as a pastor has taught me that my new can easily get stuck in neutral. Anybody else? Our new can get stuck in neutral. So how do we get unstuck from neutral? I think unstuck in this case always relates to understanding and surrender. One, I got to... Uh, how can you respond to something that hasn't ever been shared or taught and you have no background for, right? You can't. You can't respond to something that no one's ever unpacked for you. There's an understanding that needs to come involved around the Holy Spirit. And then there has to be a surrender. Then I actually have to decide that I want something someone that God's given now that I, I'm not going to understand, right? I can't understand all of God, right? I mean, I don't want a God I can completely understand, right? If I can understand God, he's not big enough for me, right? All right, so, so where becomes the line where we're willing to step into the supernatural? When, when are we willing to go someplace that we can't fully explain? I can tell you when you get to that place is you get stuff that you never thought was possible, okay? So, um, when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, he said that we would be baptized in the Spirit. So the Greek word baptizo means it's a full immersion. It's a full immersion, right? So this is when he says, and Joel says, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit. This is an immersion, right? Okay, and so, so it is a complete being enveloped in. Um, so Peter's instructions, when he tells the people, repent, be baptized, and then you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, Think, uh, think sequence, not consequence. I, mean, I, don't, I don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. There is, uh, it, it's not just lock and lock step. These, these are important. They go together. Um, but there is a measure of the Holy Spirit that is in addition to what happens in his activity bringing me to him. And I can prove that to you in the New Testament. I'll try to get there really, really quick. Um, now, the repentance... Paul will make reference to this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, and he's talking about the church, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He said, for we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. We are baptized by one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part of many. That's a bigger part of this passage, but he's describing what happens in repentance. That when we repent, then the spirit then baptizes us, immerses us, and now we're one body. Now, I grew up in a tradition where um, I would have been Brother Weir. Anybody grow up in that tradition? Brother Charlie. Um, my, my, my aunt and uncle give regularly, and my uncle includes a, um, a note generally, and they live in South Carolina. They're watching today. She'll grade me. Uh, I'll get a grade um, uh, every single Sunday. 
Um, but he'll always sign Brother Bill. Now, not many people, have, you have ever met Brother Bill. But in that tradition, Brother Bill, right? And so what, what the emphasis here is that we're part of one body. We're part of one family. And I always find it interesting when someone says, tells me they can be a Christian without being a part of a church. The truth is, you, you can be saved without being a part of a church. You can live your life without a part of the church. But in so doing, we miss this particular point of baptism, that we're immersed into one body, that, that we've been given. So, so I, I completely understand church preference stuff, okay? I understand church preference. Listen, I've been doing this 34 years. I understand church preference. You don't like my shirt. You don't like, right? Uh, the kids have, you know, they, the kids ministry checks eight boxes, not 10 boxes. I, I understand church preference. I get it. People come and go on church preference all the time. Let me tell you from a pastor perspective what I think you really should be interested in. Is the place healthy? Now, we, we'll, we'll take much longer to unpack healthy. But that, that should be my first. Is this place healthy? Does it feel healthy? The conversations I'm having, is, is this a healthy place? The rest of it is all about being immersed into it and shaping it. It is. So the, the repentance is not just, I have a personal savior. Now I have a body to belong to. And I want you to know, you don't know how much you need that body till that body steps up for you. And when that body steps up for you, you go, oh. That's what it means to be a part of church. You're not here to keep this mechanism moving. It's not about you serving somewhere to keep the ship going forward. It's about me being developed by the power of the Spirit and the gifts that the Spirit's given me for one body to do the purpose of Christ. <laughs> this, this is what it's for. All right? So that's, that's kind of like the first baptism. Repentance, according to Corinthians, is the Holy Spirit then baptizing us into the body. All right, the second baptism is something we're much more familiar with, right? It's water baptism. Water baptism is a public declaration. It's a public de declaration of what Christ has done in me, and I'm identifying with Christ publicly, all right? So when Christ is baptized, he is identifying publicly with us. Interestingly enough, he's identifying with us in our sin. It is his, is his identification with us and our sin. When we get baptized, it's our identification with him as wholly set apart to God. You know, in some countries, you are not considered, in fact, in Islamic countries, they will not martyr you if you're not baptized. So if you're looking for how not to get martyred. But what's, what's, what's the reason? The reason is, it's interesting. Islamic countries and the Muslim faith put more weight on baptism than we do as the American church. Well, I stand in front of people and go to water, come on, what's up? Well, can I tell you that all sacraments are going to be supernatural whether we understand all of them or not. It's a sacrament. And what I really like about immersion and baptism, and a lot of times with salvation, what we do is we add Jesus to our life. That's what we do as Americans. We add Jesus to our life. Okay? So it's just Jesus and. Right? So wherever, wherever being like Jesus fits our context, then great. But whenever it puts us and puts us out somewhere where we're going to be out on, feel like out on an island, then not so much. That, this baptism to me is perfect because when you go to get baptized, I don't hand you a jar of water. Here you go. You're baptized. Carry this water with you. Right? That would be adding that to my life. Here's, here's, your, here's your baptismal water. Here, y'all take that. 
Now what happens? We stand up, we stand up, we're immersed. That's the second baptism. So what, what Peter is telling this group here, right, when there's salvation, he said, repent, then be baptized. And he said, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we get to in Acts chapter 2. It is, it is a, again, there's a measure of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's active in our life because there's no way we can come to Christ without the activity of the Holy Spirit. But there is a, there is a being baptized in. So he was baptized by, we're baptized by into the body, and now we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, um, and that's what he says in Acts 1, when Jesus is introducing, come on up team now, because I got I to hurry up. On one occasion, while they were eating with them, this is before the ascension, he gave them this command, Jesus gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, gift, promise, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even John, at Jesus' baptism, and says there's one coming after me that will baptize you with fire. There is an immersion process. In Acts chapter 8 and in Acts chapter 19, people have come to Christ. They've come to a saving faith, and Peter and John get the news. And so Peter and John show up where they are, all right? And here's Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Here's Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Do you see how important it was that, that they, they would show up and ask that question? They would ask, hey, um, all right, you, you know Jesus? Do you know the Holy Spirit? They answered, no, we, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a great answer. No, I, I don't, ho, ho, who? So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that's Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, now, they were, now their baptism was a baptism into Christ, where before it was a baptism that John had given. Look, and then said, when Paul placed his hands on him, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. So I think in those two in particular, in, in um, instances, we have clear evidence that when you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, no one's ever sat and broke it down and talked. How, how could you ever apply or receive the gift that he's given if you never even knew the gift was there to receive in the first place? It has nothing to do with who I am or if I'm a second class or first class or third class. It has nothing to do with none of that stuff. This is, you know, the Pentecostal for the tradition I've grown up, you know, too, too often would say, oh, well, you, you know, they point fingers. Oh, you're not, you're not spirit. You're not spiritual. Like you're stupid then, right? Or they have nothing to offer or whatever. And I'll, I'll own my, I, I, whatever hangups you have over anything, I'll own them all personally. I can sit down, I'll, I'll apologize to you for all of them. But I, what, what I don't want our church ever to miss is that the Holy Spirit is available to immerse us into who God is 
and to give us new power for the new life that we're trying to produce on our own. And folks, we just can't produce it on our own. You're only going to get so far. In the rest of this series, I'll unpack all the other things and ways in which the Holy Spirit interacts with us and connects us and empowers us. These first two messages were all about trying to help you understand that he's a person, he's not an it. He's a power, he's a gift. The first century church throughout time have received the Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead. Not as some funky add-on out here that can you explain him? Not hardly. Can I wrap my brain around fire and wind? Probably not ever. Can I wrap my brain around speaking one of 10 languages I never learned before? Probably not. These are all so far beyond natural that it's so difficult. But I can speak to you about the experience. Just because I can't understand something doesn't mean I can't experience something. Just because I can't fully understand and explain them doesn't mean I can't experience them. And somewhere along the line, we have to open our, we open our lives to Christ. And I think it's the same process. I surrender my life to the Holy Spirit. It's not salvation, it's power to live that way. So I encourage you today, when they, when they begin to sing, I want, you know, a lot of times I just let you stand. I, I want you to come forward today in a, in, in a, couple, a couple ways. One, if you've, never, if you've never repented of your sin, so, so put it this way, if you've never repented of, of your lifestyle, and you never asked Christ to change you, I just want to challenge you because just being around something doesn't mean it's in you. Okay? That there really is transformation. I mean, you could probably change by being around something. Again, you can have a, you can have a, um, a sponge in the water or you can have water in a sponge. I can be around it, but repentance is what baptizes me. If you've never been water, look, I can tell you when I got saved, I can tell you when I was filled with the Spirit. For the life of me, I can't recall one time, I can't recall one thing about when I was baptized, when I was baptized. I've considered being baptized again just for the experience. God, I don't, I don't remember any of this. So bless God, I want to do it again. If you've ever been water baptized, send me an email. I can't tell you the power of the sacrament. I can just tell you it's a sacrament and stuff changes. And if you've never sat before the Holy Spirit, and said, you're a gift I am to receive and I want to receive you. I want you to do that. Don't worry about what might happen or not happen. Worry about what's gonna change by receiving. So if any of those, you wanna receive Christ and salvation, you wanna receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward today for prayer. Father, you are a gift. You, you gave your son, he's a gift. You gave your spirit, he's a gift. And I want every gift, Lord, that you've prepared for me. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Lord, I, I pray where there's misunderstanding or no understanding. Lord, that that's beginning to shift in them. Lord, that they would recognize this is a healthy, trustworthy place and they will receive from you today. Lord, I pray for the person who has never repented of their lifestyle. 
and have never surrendered their life to you, that today would be a day that they'll remember. They'll say, yeah, I did it on this day. Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.